This is Trice Talk Sunday night, September the 26th, 2021, and I'm your host, Donald Wayne. Well, this is actually a combination Trice Talk mini pod kind of night, actually. Uh, Dennis Lee couldn't be here with me tonight, so I'm going to try to blend the two. Maybe something longer than a mini pod, but uh, certainly. Not as long as the normal trice talk when Dennis Lee and I are doing these things together because it's kind of hard for me to talk for an hour and a half or more by myself. Aren't you lucky? <laughs> so I'm, I'm in the studio solo tonight. And um, of course, it's obvious that it's not a live episode since you're not listening to it live. Um, but, you know, hopefully we can uh, repair the or get rid of the flies in the ointment and we can get back on schedule one of these days, uh, whatever that schedule is going to be. So anyway, I, I've got a few different topics to share with you tonight. Um, the first thing I want to do is share a few excerpts from last night's Trump rally in Perry, Georgia. Uh, I, I really couldn't find some of the ones that I, I wanted uh, the classic uh, Trumpisms, if you will, of, of talking about Joe Biden and, and the things that the Democrats are doing to the country. Um, I'm sure they were on there at some point, but um, they've been uh, taken off. I'll see if I can find some for tomorrow night's show in case you haven't heard some of them. But um, I've got, I think I've got three that just give you a little little peek at what was going on, what was being discussed last night. Uh, of course, I had talked about that. Uh, Perry, Georgia is a little bit south of uh, Macon, Georgia, which is about 100 and uh, I think it's about 120 miles, 115, 20 miles south of Atlanta. So um, obviously, you know, Dennis Lee and I couldn't make it down there. Uh, to the Trump rally. I didn't even know about it until uh, it was too late to make any preps. Because if you drive down there from Atlanta and go to a rally that starts at seven o'clock at night, you're not really going to be in the greatest of condition to make that trek all the way back to Atlanta. So uh, that was one of the um, issues once, once we found out that Trump was going to be down there. 
And uh, if you've been to any of them or if you've seen the pictures of them, there's so many people trying to get in that the chances of you being close, I kind of almost feel, even though I'd like to be at a Trump rally, uh, if that's possible, you know, before, you know, too long. The thing is, I'm kind of like that as I am about concerts. People used to to talk to me about, uh, well, don't you like to go to concerts? And I would say, well, I've been to a few, but generally if I can't, if I'm not sitting close enough, if I can't be close enough to the people I'm watching perform on stage, then I'm not really all that excited about going live. I mean, I can listen to the music uh, and enjoy that and the comfort of my home or my car or wherever I'm at uh, without dealing with the all of the um, <laughs> all of the crowd that either is intoxicated or high on something else. Uh, a lot of times screaming and making so much noise that you can't really hear the songs that you want to hear. But um, I still think I would you know, like to be able to say that I went to one Trump rally and I got close enough that maybe I could see him with binoculars or something. I don't know. Uh, but we'll see if that happens, uh, before 26, I mean, 2016. Oh my gosh. Talking about leaning back, uh, before the 2022 midterm elections roll around, hopefully he'll be making another visit to Atlanta uh, or the Atlanta area. Um, and of course he was there last night. One of the people he was supporting last night at the rally was, uh, Herschel Walker, who is running against Raphael Warnock, um, the wonderful guy that won the runoff against Kelly Leffler, uh, back in January this year. How in the world that ever happened? I don't know. Uh, a lot of people blame our governor, Brian Kemp for that for actually picking somebody who wasn't a politician to uh, fill that uh, empty Senate seat at that time. But anyway, we've talked about that a hundred times. So um, let me see if I can find those uh, quick enough while I'm talking about it. Um, so the only only news uh, media that was covering that last night, I believe, was Newsmax. And it may be why there's not a lot of stuff being seen on TV, or at least I didn't see it today, uh, coverage of that, because Newsmax was the only one that decided to cover it live. And uh, usually depend on Fox for doing stuff like that. But for some reason, uh, they decide, I guess either they weren't invited or they decided not to cover it. I don't know. Maybe there's a rift developing. Of course, you know, it could be Fox is, is a little bit leery of too much Trump because of all of his accusations about the election being stolen. And they don't really know where they need to fall on that. Although uh, probably over two thirds of their uh, host on TV uh, talk about the stolen election all the time. Uh, all right. So let me see. I've got one here. This one, uh, doesn't really say what the subject is. I, I listened to them earlier, but I don't know which one is which. So let me play this first one. They're very short. So, uh, bear with me. 
In Afghanistan, he humiliated our nation with the most appalling display of incompetence by an American president in history. 13 great young warriors were murdered and many injured, and a total of 170 people were killed with many very, very badly wounded. In their memory tonight, we have 13 empty seats of honor right here in the front row. Our hearts go out to the families of every service member that we have lost. And I've spoken to a lot of them, and these are great, great people. Thank you. All right, that was the first one. Um, I think this one kind of ties into that one. Let me see. We'll see. Session, you do know that, right? Whoops. And they say we lost. But there never has been... You know there never has been a concession. You do know that, right? You do know that. and they say we lost yes we know he never conceded the election doesn't change the outcome doesn't change what we've had to deal with for the last nine months but no he technically didn't concede all right this one ties into the first one report and over the air and we're also honored to be joined by one of the marines who bravely served in Kabul during the withdrawal and helped evacuate children over the airport and over the airport wall. You saw him. He did a great job, Lance Corporal Hunter Ian Clark. Lance Corporal, come up here. Come up here. Come up, handsome guy. Hunter comes from a military family and went to school right here in Perry, Georgia. Can you believe that? Come on up here. Thank you. You want to say something? Hey, my name's uh, Lance Corporal Hunter Clark. I'm here from uh, Warner Robins, Georgia. I am the guy that uh, pulled the baby over the wall, and it's definitely probably one of the greatest things I've ever done in my entire life. I just want to thank all the support from all y'all. It really means a lot, and uh, I'm glad to be home now today. Thank you. I hope sincerely that that Lance Corporal doesn't get in trouble with his superior officers for being at a Trump rally. You know, there's a lot of Democrats, if anybody's seeing that, that are going to be highly critical of this young man. It's, um, you know, I was thinking about this as I was, as watching these videos. And I did see a few excerpts on TV 
of the Trump rallies and the crowds. It's, it's amazing to me how many people go to these things, how many people are so eager still after Trump losing the election, at least as far as we know, are still drawn to this man and these rallies. And, it, and to me, I think about it and it's like, it's amazing how a guy that the Democrats consider to be a loser can draw such large crowds wherever he goes. Joe Biden, they would have to pay. It would have, it would, they would have to put another line item in the budget for Joe Biden to be able to get a quarter of these people to show up in support of him. But yeah, it's, it's, it's just amazing to me. Democrats think that he's a loser and many other things, but he can draw such large crowds. People are just, they will go to great lengths to be able to be there at one of these rallies. Of course, you know, liberals and Democrats consider conservatives and Republicans losers too. So I guess they're thinking, well, look at all those losers going to watch that big loser on the stage. Yeah, right. Well, when you can, when any of you Democrats can draw just, uh, uh, let's, let's say a, a 16th of the crowd that Donald Trump and many other, well, of course, nobody can draw a crowd like he can, but many others, it's just, um, you need to shut the hell up. You know, your people that support liberals and Democrats and, and Joe Biden in particular and Kamala Harris in particular, a person who couldn't even get, you know, a majority of votes in her own district. You people will never be able to have those kind of crowds at anything, anything that you do. Oh yeah, you say there were millions and millions of people that support you and and uh, and voted for you and la da 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 da. But would they show up for you at an event and show you the kind of love and support and respect that they have for this loser, Donald Trump? according to Democrats and liberals, that is. All right. So that's just the three little things I had from that. I wish I had a, a little bit longer clip. I'm going to see if I can try to uh, see if I can find something for tomorrow night just to play a little bit, find something with a few excerpts that actually talk about uh, going forward. I'd like to see one where he's talking to Herschel Walker as well and, and hear a little bit more about Herschel Walker. Uh, on the campaign trail. Of course, that's coming, folks. And if you're anywhere around Georgia, um, that's coming. So, all right. If you've, uh, if you've followed us on Tristalk for any length of time, you kind of know how we feel about last year's election. While I personally don't like the term stolen election, I have no doubt in my mind that many questionable and, and quite likely illegal things were done 
to help Biden take the White House last year. You notice I didn't say that he won the election. I just said he took the White House. You got to pay attention to every sentence. (laughs) You have to. Of course, living here in Georgia, I am beyond upset with the election results. And and here at the at, and the annex of the Democrat-controlled strongholds like Fulton County, which really was no surprise to me that it went for Joe Biden. But I'll have to say, even I didn't think that the Democrats would stoop to such lows in order to to uh, try to ensure themselves a victory last year. And there were some crazy-ass things that went on in Fulton County. And now we haven't talked about it in quite a while. Uh, but, folks, there were some illegal things. There were some questionable things. There were, there were some shady things that went on here in Fulton County. I don't know about other places in Georgia, but considering... Uh, the ballot box issues, uh, the mobile ballot box, the ballot harvesting we've talked about, you know, that just, there's no way in the world you can control that, that you have quality control over stuff like that, especially in areas which so vehemently hate someone like they, or they, at least they talk about it in public, hating Donald Trump. And we're going to trust these people to send, uh, you know, civilians, if you will, out into the neighborhoods and collect ballots. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine if that had happened on the Republican side, the conservative side, and Donald Trump had won. I just can't imagine. All right. Well, but I will say I had high hopes for uh, something more from all of the time and money that was spent in Maricopa County, Arizona, in the latest vote audit, which basically started back in the spring. I don't, I don't know if it started in April or May. I know it was originally slated to start, and then it was uh, pushed back a little bit because of of some issues in securing a place. And then the place they were doing the recount uh, was scheduled for something else and they had to pause it and move everything or, or wait for that event to be over. I'm not quite sure. But anyway, this has been going on since middle of spring this year. And it was supposed to be concluded in June. And then I think it ran into July. And I think they did wrap it up in July. But since then, they've been analyzing the results, and we've been eagerly awaiting to hear. Now, I think the expectations were very high, and there was probably some people who thought, mistakenly so, that, boy, if they can come out with just, you know, the numbers are wrong, and and they can prove all of this uh, shenanigans during the, during the handling of the ballots, and... Uh, everything else that they had accused uh, liberals of doing during the election, there were some people who probably really thought that some way, hook or crook, Donald Trump could take over as president. I mean, and that probably hurt conservatives 
a lot more than many other things that have been said in public because, you know, everybody was laughing at conservatives for that very reason, thinking, well, yeah, you, you idiots think that Donald Trump can actually, even if you prove that we stole the election, that, that you're going to be able to put him in as president, that Joe Biden's going to step down. That would never happen. And we've said that here on Trice Talk and a number, a number of people in, in the, uh, on the conservative media side said that's not feasible. Even though some people talk that way, I don't know that that many people believed that it could be done because there was no constitutional precedent for that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, let me play this. Um, anyway, we, we were hoping that there was going to be, uh, after all that time and effort, there was going to be something more damning that came out from this report. But uh, let me play you a short clip. Let's see, where do I have this one stored? Okay. Let me play you a short clip of, um, it's from Heather Childers uh, from Newsmax, actually. The people that, uh, the only ones that covered the the um, Trump rally last night. So this is a report from Heather Stewart. What did I say? Heather Childers. I Sorry about that. But also reveal. All right. Welcome back to The Count, where we are counting down the major stories of the week. I'm Heather Childers, and we have arrived at story number one, the Arizona audit results. The official results of the Arizona election audit conducted by the group Cyber Ninjas were presented to the Arizona Senate yesterday. And the results confirmed the ballot count from Election Day, but also reveal some major irregularities that exceed the margin of victory. Joining us now to discuss is pollster for McLaughlin and Associates, John McLaughlin, and constitutional law attorney and Newsmax contributor Jenna Ellis and RNC's national spokesman, Paris Denard. Thank you all very much for joining us. Great Thank to you. see you, Heather. So as we begin our discussion, let's take a look at some of the Arizona ballots in question. As laid out in this report, uh, there were, what, over 23,000 mail-in ballots that voted from a prior address, uh, 10,342 potential voters that voted in multiple counties. There were 9,041 more ballots returned by voters than actually received, uh, 3,432 official results that do not match who voted, and there were 2,592 more duplicates than original ballots. And as we mentioned, the uh, margin of victory was 10,457. So I'll let you start us off, uh, Jenna, your take on the results as they were confirmed yesterday. Yeah, well, I think that this does confirm uh, what President Trump and the Trump legal team have said from the very beginning, that the election was irredeemably compromised. And, you know, the, while the left is focusing on the hand uh, ballot count, it has always been President Trump's contention that we have to count every legal vote and not count ballots that are cast in any way, shape, or form against state law. That was the problem in not only Arizona, but the other swing states. And so when you look at these over 50,000 ballots that have substantial irregularities that did not follow the Arizona state law, that is why now it is incumbent on the Arizona state mm -hmm. legislature to decertify, to reclaim their delegates, and to tell Congress their certification did not match the actual ballot count because every legal vote has to count and count fairly. That 
that is uh, what we have to do in America to make sure to secure the integrity of our elections. And I have to say, I'm very glad that Newsmax has this as the number one story because election integrity and election justice is the number one story in America right now. Yeah, John. Okay. So that was uh, some official numbers based on on uh, that station's report. Now, I also found an article by uh, my old friend, Mike Huckabee, which we're not really personal friends, but I use his site a lot, uh, Huckabee's newsletter. But uh, he wrote in his most recent newsletter, which I believe it was from yesterday, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, he wrote this short intro to a couple of uh, links to other articles that he had about the voting uh, results from Maricopa County. Huckabee goes on to say, Friday, the findings were announced from the Arizona State, Arizona Senate audit of the 2020 presidential vote in Maricopa County. Um, The way it was reported reminded me of the classic movie Rosh Homan. I don't, he says that's a classic movie, but I don't recall Rosh Homan, which invented the concept of completely different versions of the same story being told by different narrators. Conservatives outlets focused on the many irregularities that the audit turned up, such as he says over 17,000 duplicate ballots, 23,344 mail-in ballots, voted from people priors addresses, uh, 2,382 in-person voters who had moved out of the county outside the window of eligibility, and and many other issues, which some of them were uh, just given to us. Uh, the total ballots that had something questionable about them was 57,734, far more than Biden's 10,000 457 vote margin of victory in Arizona. So you can see where those irregularities, depending on uh, where what your stance is, was five times more than what you needed in order to make this thing a problem. Well, maybe not quite five times, but that's that's the issue here. Biden only won by 10,457, and there's over, there's almost 58,000 votes that had uh, questionable issues about them that uh, possibly could have destroyed that margin of victory for Joe Biden in Arizona. Meanwhile, liberal outlets trumpeted the finding that the hand recount of ballots that were accepted in the county showed Biden did win, even picking up a few hundred more votes than originally reported. This wasn't unexpected since they were just recounting votes that had already been recounted just several months prior to that. Incidentally, does anyone else find it amusing that after months of attacking the auditors as crazy, unqualified, unreliable hacks who shouldn't be listened to, that when they produced a finding Democrats liked, liberal media outlets trumpeted the news as audit vindicates Biden. I mean, think back now that 
for months this year while this was going on and when it, when the process started, how, how adamant the Democrats were in Arizona that this was wrong, this was unconstitutional, or this was illegitimate, uh, that they had no right to do this, that they were using unqualified people to do this. They were worried about the integrity of, of the uh, ballots. Oh, there's a joke. But now that this group uh, basically said, well, yeah, the count was just about right uh, as far as physical count is concerned. And you even picked up some votes for Biden. But then a lot of those ballots, almost 58,000 of them were questionable whether they ever should have been counted at all. So I'll just remind you of what I've said on several occasions, Huckabee says, since the November election, it's not necessary to believe in rigged voting machines or stuffed ballot boxes or any other elaborate, elaborate chicanery with the altered voting rules to conclude that this was not a fair election. Even if you put aside all of that, we know it wasn't fair because the people ensured it was fair not only admitted that it wasn't fair, they bragged about it. <laughs> so that was that was Huckabee's take on that. And then, of course, he has a reference to a couple of uh, links that you can go to to read more in depth about that. And I'll be posting that on Facebook after the show. But while Democrats may be breathing a sigh of relief now that the Arizona and Arizona audit and results are out in the open, they shouldn't be because we as conservatives are not done with this issue. There is more to come as more and more states have the momentum now to push for private audits of ballots. I mean, even like I said, even though they concluded that the count that was done, the last audit that was done, the count other than picking up some more votes for Joe Biden the numbers were correct. They're saying there's almost 58,000 uh, ballots that are so questionable that that's going to give the incentive to other states to take a, another look at their ballots. So if you take that 58,000 and then you multiply it times, what, another 10, 15 states that may have questionable results could be more than that. That would really put the nation in doubt. But I can tell you, I'm not so sure that that's going to happen because the Democrats are going to push back vehemently against any more states doing recounts because they're probably going to say, well, look at Arizona. They spent all that money. They spent millions of dollars, which I believe the majority of was raised privately, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, please be sure to correct me if I'm wrong. But still, they're going to say it's not worth the time and the money spending on, on this, and you're going to come up with the same count that you had before. Oh, but you might discover these questions. And we've already raised some of these here in Georgia. We've already talked about uh, uh, pages, that uh, uh, ballots that looked like they had been Xeroxed because everything was so uniform on a number of ballots that it just was improbable 
that you would have that many ballots that look so much alike or signatures to be so close in, in structure as to make them questionable. But I say, even if they don't get, get more audits accomplished before next year's midterms, I, I still believe the issue is not going to go away. I, there's, there's plenty of reasons and plenty of little tidbits of evidence across the country that let conservatives know there were things done that, that if we allow them to continue happening and, and voting, which many states now like Georgia and Texas um, and a few others, I think North Carolina, of course, North Carolina's, you know, has a judge over there that's knocking down the uh, voter ID requirement from the state. But um, I, I think this issue is not going away. That's, that's unless this worthless piece of crap Congress that we have in, in Washington, D.C. passes that pending infrastructure package, you know, you know, the one where they're trying to sneak in that voting rights bill, which would basically doom our country to Democrat control. Well, that is an, unless we as a nation collapse from the weight of our own stupidity. But you can take this to the bank. And you remember that I said this. Uh, if, if, you know, those of you that will still be around if and when that happens, even if our country falls in ruin, you can count on the Democrat liberals being the ones standing on top of the heap. They're going to be the ones getting theirs before the Hubble masses on the bottom of that pile of garbage that they create in this country can get their scraps. And that's really what it's about. Really, if you think about it. socialism, Marxism, that's what it's about. It's not about making equality between all the people because you can't ever do that. You can't ever do that. It's never been proven to work. It's about a small group of people being in control and they prosper and they get to tell everybody else what to do while they go around doing whatever they want to do because they're in the elite class. These people who say they care about the small guy, they care about the small people, the little people in the country, the people that get ignored, they say, by Republicans and conservatives. They're only worried about them right now as a means to get power. They're not worried. They're not going to be worried about them if they're ever successful in turning this country into a, you know, uh, an armpit of a nation. All right. So my last topic for tonight. Uh, I'm going to get this one from the New York Post, uh, an article written by Christopher Rufo, which I've used uh, articles by Christopher Rufo a number of times in Trice Talk. And the article is titled, see it, <laughs> can't, well, let me, let, let me wet the whistle here. I still can't whistle, but it's wet. CVS ex executives rake in millions while lecturing wage workers on wokeness. 
You know, it doesn't seem like there's going to be an end to the corporations that buy into all of this wokeness crap that's going on around the country today. I, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just a little too naive. I don't understand what's in it for them. You know, I've always thought, and I didn't major in business or anything, but I always thought that that businesses always catered to the ones that brought them the most financial gain, the ones that they could depend on buying their products or supporting their stores or their restaurants or whatever. I always thought that was where they leaned, that they would always, you know, uh, always, you know, that's the, customers they wanted, the ones that they knew were their true customers and spent money with them are the ones that they pandered to. But over this last year and even into last year, when, when, uh, black lives matter started, you know, wanting to boycott everybody, uh, about, uh, white racism issues and so forth. I'm just surprised at how many companies have folded. I, it doesn't make sense to me. Because all of those, all those Trump voters out there, they don't seem to be worried about pissing any of them off. Now, maybe some of these companies like CVS think, well, you know, you can't do without pharmacies. You know, you got to get your, your drugs somewhere, your legal drugs somewhere. Uh, and they're one of the largest chains, I believe. Uh, let's see. I don't know if the article says that, but anyway, uh, I just, I can't imagine that they're, that they take these steps, which, which they know they're going to piss off conservatives in this country. And there's enough conservatives. There's enough loud voices that they, they've got to be, they got to be playing Russian roulette. And I don't really understand it. Uh, financially, it doesn't make sense. But maybe again, they're thinking, well, you know, they've got to come to us. It's just like a lot of the large chain grocery stores. They, they can pretty much do what they want because they know that people don't have a lot of choices, not in general. So I don't know, maybe they're playing Russian roulette. Anyway, this article by Christopher Rufo goes like this. Last year, CVS's Health Corporation, the largest pharmacy chain in the United States, paid then CEO Larry Merlo almost 618 times the median company wage, while simultaneously launching a mandatory anti racist training program for hourly employees to deconstruct their privilege. I have viewed, I have reviewed whistleblower documents that reveal the company's extensive race education, re-education program, which is built on the core tenets of critical race theory, including intersectionality. I'm going to have to look that one up. White privilege and unconscious bias, unconscious bias. Are you serious? Okay. As a keynote for the initiative, Merlo, who has since retired, 
Well, I guess so. After drawing 618 times the median company wage, uh, probably some good retirement bonus money in there as well as, well, it's probably stock options. Uh, as a keynote for the initiative, Merlo, who has since retired, hosted a cons conversation with Boston University professor Ibram Kendi. I think we've talked about him on Christ Talk before, who told 25,000 CVS employees that to be born in the United States is to literally have racist ideas rain on our head consistently and constantly, according to Ibram Kendi. Kendi argued that Americans are walking through society completely soaked in racist ideas, including children as young as two to three years old. Our kids are basically functioning on racist ideas, choosing who to play with based on the kid's skin color, Kendi said. The solution, in part, is to diagnose employees as racist to help them become anti-racist and stop hurting somebody else. A series of related training modules instructed employees to deconstruct their racial and sexual identities, then rank themselves according to their privilege. The exercise is grounded in theory of intersectionality, which holds that individuals can be reduced to a network of overlapping identities that determine their position on the social hierarchy, with privileged groups occupying the oppressor role and the unprivileged groups in the oppressed role. Well, I guess that's what intersectionality is. The training asked CVS employees to circle their identities, including race, gender, sexuality, and religion, and then reflect on their privilege during the discussion. Examples of privilege, according to a checklist, included celebrating Christmas, having a name that is easy to pronounce, feeling safe in your neighborhood at night, and enjoying a sense of confidence in one's leadership style. Okay, I'm going to do that damn list again. Examples of privilege, according to Kendi, is, is according, to, or according to a checklist, including celebrating Christmas. That's an example of privilege. Okay, that one's got me pissed off. Having a name that is easy to pronounce. You know, remember the song A Boy Named Sue? Well, maybe most of y'all aren't old enough to know uh, the song A Boy Named Sue. Uh, it's a song about a, a kid whose dad named him Sue. So he would get, get toughened through his younger years. So he, he could survive life, I guess. Um, <laughs> having a name that is easy to pronounce. Okay. I, I could probably talk 30 minutes on that, but I'm not, I don't care what people's names are. But if you got a name that's difficult for somebody to pronounce, then you just, you know, you're accepting the fact that people are going to have difficulty pronouncing it. Are you going to be pissed off at people because they can't pronounce your name? Feeling safe in your neighborhood at night. Well, there's a problem that the Democrats need to work on, right? Take every major city in this country that has a serious crime problem and look who is in charge. 
you want to feel safe in your neighborhood at night, put some people in office that actually have some freaking common sense so they know that it takes a police presence. They know that it takes enforcement of the laws in the communities, in the cities. To make a difference. People aren't going to do the right thing in all cases because it's the right thing. There's an, there's elements in our society that will never be, never comply with society's rules. And it's funny, all these Democrats want to harp on people who don't want to get vaccinated, you know, and they want to make it mandatory so they can punish them if they don't do it. Yet these same very, very same fools don't seem to have a problem with the crime in this country. They don't seem to have a problem enforcing the laws. Why? Because they say it's unfair to minorities. The laws are unfair to minorities. The fact that you don't expect people to steal from others, the fact that you don't expect people to rape others, the fact that you don't expect people to shoot or stab others. If you don't enforce those laws, people aren't just going to do that out of the goodness of their heart. In all cases, it doesn't work. And the last thing he's talking about, and enjoying a sense of confidence in one's leadership style. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, that's not even worth talking about. All right. That's one training exercise. People had to circle their identities, including race, gender, sexuality, and religion. I tell you what, you know, when I, I see those things on forums, more and more, uh, I don't have to fill out as much stuff as I used to, but more and more, anytime I come across something like that, I tend to not answer them unless I just don't I actually have a choice. I almost wish I was still back in the workforce where some dumbass company put me in a situation where I had to go to one of these training exercises. Now I would obviously probably get fired because I would be one of those fools to stand up and say, screw this, screw this. You're not going to tell me that I'm a bad person because I'm white or I'm, I'm a bad person because I'm a male or I'm a bad person because of my sexual preference or I'm a bad person because of my religion. And you damn sure don't want to point to me and tell me because I'm white and I'm a male that I'm a privileged son of a bitch. You don't want to do that. You don't want to go down that road with me because that's malarkey. Is that to say that there's not white privileged people, white male privileged people? No, but you know what? And the thing that they never talk about, there's an awful lot of wealthy black Americans in this country. There's an awful lot of wealthy Hispanic Americans in this country as well. And other nationalities, if you will, other 
other other well, I just created a word other ethnicities as well. Yes, the numbers may be different. But it's still there. All right, another exercise called Say This, Not That provided employees with detailed racial etiquette reference cards to reorient their speech to the values of diversity, equity, and inclusion. The training instructed employees to stop using problematic phrases, including, I'm colorblind. I grew up poor. The peanut gallery? Are you serious? I'm not a racist, and we must stand up for minorities. So they don't want people to say those things, among others. I grew up poor. I did. I grew up in a broken home. In fact, neither neither my mother or father were ever around until I became a teenager. Not really. My father was around a little bit more than my mother, but uh, I grew up poor. But I didn't want for a whole lot because I had a wonderful support family around me. Aunts and uncles and grandparents that uh, helped me survive. I'm colorblind. I don't know that I've ever said that in my life to anybody. I don't even know why I would use that uh, conversation unless somebody started a conversation about being colorblind. Peanut gallery? Uh, ask Jimmy Carter about that. I don't know. He, he's a peanut grower. I mean, how is that offensive to somebody? I'm not quite sure. I'm not racist. Well, if you ask me, if you come up and ask me point blank, am I a racist? I'm going to tell you, no, I'm not a racist. I don't feel that I'm a racist. I don't think that I'm a racist. I know that I'm not a racist. And we must stand up for minorities. I, You know, I say you must stand up for people. People need to stand up for each other, for what's right in society. This sectioning off is is what, you know, people in this country did for so many years. So many of them were in the South. Majority of them were Democrats or members of the Democrat Party. Which I've always said, how in the hell does the Democrat Party get black voters to trust them for anything when they were the ones who were prominent in the South, when all other than actual slavery itself were, were the prominent leaders in the South that were causing all the problems that didn't want them at lunch counters, didn't want them to ride anywhere they wanted to on the bus. Didn't want equality. Didn't want them in their schools. Why do they trust them? Why have they trusted them for the last 50 years in this country? It's amazing to me. All these phrases, according to the training, are racist microaggressors 
that minimize the existence of systemic racism having a racist history and could be seen as discrediting the experiences of black people and their culture. The goal of the training document says to create psychological safety for underprivileged and historically oppressed groups that might feel endangered by phrases such as sexual preference, grandfathered in and off the reservation. The hell, how many, how many times do people actually use this crap in a conversation anyway? Maybe I've been running with a different crowd all of my adult life. I've never been, maybe, maybe I've led a sheltered life. I've never been talking with a group of people and somebody asked me my sexual preference. Nobody ever. And over 50 years, nobody ever asked me my sexual preference. I think they probably knew. by my conversations. Grandfathered in. What the hell is wrong with that? Grandfathered in. That generally refers to, you know, a change in rules, but, you know, because uh, there's a certain group of people that have been doing something so long, a lot of times they would allow them to uh, be exempt from the new regulations and basically grandfathered in. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what the problem with that is off the reservation. I guess that's in, insulting to, uh, American Indians. I, I don't know. How many times does that come up in a conversation? I'm seriously, who are these people hanging out with these people who, uh, develop these programs? They've been running around with clan members or something. Or white supremacist? I mean, is is that where they're getting their information? Are they limiting this stuff to things that they get from uh, uh, small groups of people in this country? The irony of these privilege programs is inescapable. In recent years, Merlot enjoyed the highest executive to employee compensation in the United States was called the most obscenely overpaid CEO in America. Last year, Merlo earned $22 million in total compensation compared with the median CVS employee salary of $35,529 and yet still lectured his 300,000 uh, 300, employees about their privilege. I wonder how much privilege $22 million a year earned Merlot. And we find the same situation today, Uh, especially these people in Hollywood that want to run their mouth and tell everybody else how in the hell to live their life and, 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 and call uh, other people names across the country, especially white people, especially conservatives, especially Christians. These millionaires living fantasy lives want to tell other people how to live their lives or how we should react in society or the words that we should use or, or, uh, you know, whether we should eat meat or not, or whether, you know, we should worry about our carbon emissions. It's generally from fairly wealthy people. Even the politicians 
on the left that want to criticize us all the time and tell us how unfair white people are and how how privileged we are. These are people who do not know what the average life is like. That's not to say all of them came from money, but so many of them have been living in money, you know, swimming in money and, and privilege for so long. How in the hell do they remember what it's like to be an average American in this country? Even AOC has been tainted because she wants to talk about fairness and wages for, you know, the poor people in her district or in this country in general. Yet she goes to a fundraiser like she did uh, in that stupid ass dress that she was wearing, tax the rich. That do you think any of the constituents in her district could go to something like that? Could even, even probably get a job working and serving the people in that group. And this bitch wants to go out there and talk about, you know, how other people should be living their lives. Why is it not that these kind of functions are not part of, why do people not recognize that as privilege? It is a privilege all that money that gets spent on these things, all the fine foods and all the service and all the people dressed up in their, you know, uh, some of those people wear clothes that the average person in this country, they don't spend that much money on their entire family in a year, clothing their family. And they want to criticize the average person in this country and tell them how they're supposed to be living their life, what they should be doing, what they should support, how in the hell they should be talking, what words they should be using or what words they shouldn't be using. Privilege. The very people who are pointing fingers at the average person in this country are privileged. But like Democrats and, and at least the new Democrat party, the, the, the liberal party today, they have no problem telling you to live a certain way that they have no intention of living that way because they're too important. They have things to do for you. So they need to be able to spend money. They need to be able to fly around the world. They need to have fundraisers where more money is brought in than, than the average person will see in a lifetime. That's not privilege. How do they lecture people on privilege? Why do we let them continue to do this? Why isn't every time these people open their mouth, their pie hole, that somebody's not shoving something in it and saying, shut up. You haven't earned the right to criticize me. You haven't walked in these shoes. You haven't walked in any of these shoes. Do not criticize me. Now, I know AOC probably didn't come from money, and she was at least a working person before she got elected, but, you know, she's way off track. She's sucked into the program. She's living on the high side now. Influence, power, money, privilege. The very privilege they want to say that the average American, especially white American, has. 
I guess I should say white American because that's their focus. Far from being a bottom-up program of empowerment, the new ideology of anti-racism allows elites such as Mario Merlo Mario Merlo to oh gee what does this I, I don't know the word folks Merlo to their guilt and shift blame to ordinary Americans I'll have to look that one up um. Well, that's what I was just talking about. They're the epitome of the things that they say we are. Predictably, the program has provoked dissent. One CVS worker who requested an anonymity out of fear of reprisals blasted the new program, saying, I have worked at CVS a long time, and we have never had a problem with discrimination or division. Quite the opposite. People of diverse backgrounds always have pulled together to solve complex problems. The employee argued that the politicized training program will ultimately undermine the company's prospects. Long-term talent will drain, morale will suffer, and resentment will spread. This will contaminate our culture and threaten our long-term success. Unfortunately, CBS has shown no signs of backing down. Merlot retired this year, cashing out on a long career at the pharmacy. Meantime, executives continue to push the anti-racism and privilege initiatives, hectoring employees to make a personal commitment constantly to celebrate diversity, inclusion, and equity. Any dissenters will pay the price. CVS promises swift action against non-inclusive behaviors, even if that inclusivity stops at the payroll department. Yeah, how do you how do you preach <laughs> inclusivity and you're making 600 and something times more than the average worker for your freaking company? And we allow them to do that, at least as a whole. You know, I know people need their jobs. And most of the times I think, and this is just just a, just a, a, a thought that entered my head. I would say most of the time people put up with this crap at work because they need their job. But every once in a while, you'll get that group of people that just will not stay and put up with this crap. I wish there was a way. that these people could get together and just say, we're all going to not come in tomorrow. And I'm not a big fan of um, boycotts. I'm not. But when you have a company that is trying to basically brainwash its employees and tell them how to live their, how to live their life. Now, I'll defend the right of a company to have programs to train their employees how to treat their customers. I'm okay with that. If you have a brand, if you have a, a way that you want your customers treated, 
that's their right. They're, they're paying their employees. That's their right. But when they get into these programs where they're trying to re basically, uh, brainwash people into changing their entire lives and their entire personality, when they're trying to tell them how to live their, I have to control myself here. I keep wanting this. <laughs> I don't want to have to change the rating of the show, but they keep telling people how they're supposed to live their life in general, not just at work. That's wrong. They don't have a right to do that. They don't have a right to do that. None of these corporations do across this country. When you're at work, they have a right to tell you how you should be treating the customers. They have right to have expectations of that. And maybe to some extent control, control the way that you speak to your customers. But beyond that, get the hell out of my life. You know, as long as you don't have employees that are mistreating people because of their sexuality or, or because of the color of their skin or because of if, if there's if it's if it's obvious, you know, uh, of their religion. You know, you have a right to expect your employees not uh, basically to treat everybody the same, regardless of these other factors. But you don't have a right to tell them that they have to change all of these feelings in their life, all of these uh, issues that we've just talked about. They don't have a right to do that. How in the hell we have so many people in this country that are putting up with that shit is just amazing to me. It's amazing to me. And yes, I understand people need to work. People need their jobs. I don't know why, because the, the government wants to pay everybody for not working. It's really upsetting when I read stupid shit like this. And, and again, I wished I was still out there in, in, in the workforce somewhere to some point where I would have somebody tell me I got to go to this program. Oh, I'd go to the program. All right. I mean, and we went to programs when I was in the business sector, we actually, I was part of many training sessions and we, we talked to our employees about how to treat people, how to react to people. things that they should and should not do when they're at work and then how to do their job more effectively. But I can't even imagine the, the, the response we would have gotten if we had started talking to our employees about some of these issues that people are talking to them about today. That's because these, a lot of people have been brainwashed by the media to, th to think that somebody else has a right to tell you how to live your life. You know, the way I live my life is I treat people the way that I expect them to treat me. If you're nice to me, I'm nice to you. If you're not nice to me, I'm not going to be unnice to you. I'll try to get the hell out of your way. But that's pretty much it for me. I treat people the way they treat me. In fact, many times I treat them better than they treat me, especially in the public when I'm away from family and friends. That's the way I was taught. That's the way I observed when I was growing up. 
That's the way I saw my family members treat other people kindly, with kindness and compassion. You cared about people with problems. You cared about people that were in worse shape than you, but you can't always do a lot about it. But this stuff here is off the charts. And if people don't, don't put a stop to this kind of stuff. Yeah. And the hypocrisy of somebody that makes all of that or made all that money. And I would be willing to bet Marlo, Merlo, whatever, Merlo, uh, didn't live his life and didn't treat people the way that, that, that the training that he required people to go through, I bet he couldn't meet those standards. It's just a guess. I could be wrong. Been wrong many a time. All right. I just, I hate, I hate these kind of articles because I just, I cannot believe in this country that Americans are allowing themselves to have people to their face, tell them that they're racist. You can't tell me because I was born white that I'm a racist. You cannot tell me that. That me personally, it's insane, absolutely insane. Pushback people. These people that, that you're allowing to tell you who you are and what you should be, who are they? Who are they? Who are they to tell you what you should be? I can tell you this, friends. There's very few people in my life that even come close to earning the right to even talk to me about a few of these items that are on this list, but certainly no dumbass stranger that's coming in who has an agenda of his own. And this guy, uh, what's, what's this guy's name? I've, I've already forgotten the one that came up with the program. Da, 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 da. Um, Kendi. Yeah, I've talked about him before. That's a piece of work. Absolutely a piece of work. How how Americans are stupid enough to buy into that kind of stuff is is beyond me. How bad is your life that you want to believe some shit like that? You know, these people want to tear us apart. These people want to drive a wedge between the races in this country, because that's the only way that they see as getting what they want. If they make everybody mad enough at each other, white against black, black against white, black against Hispanic, black against this Asian, same way with white. Every, everybody's fighting with each other. Everybody is a racist against each other. Then they can get to the point where they can come in and say, Hey, we're going to fix this. Just put us in power. We're going to fix this. Yeah, they'll fix it. All right. 
Yep, just like they fixed the border crisis in the last 30 years, just like they fixed the poverty situation in this country for the last, gosh, since the Great Depression, I don't know. The homeless problem in this country, yeah, they've they've got a good handle on that too, right? Homeless vets. People who served our country, fought for our country many times, lost loved ones, lost limbs, given everything but their life for our country, and they have to come back here and struggle because they get forgotten, and it takes private charity groups to raise money to do the right thing for these people. Where's the, where's the freaking government then? Where are the liberals on that issue? How many liberals do you see in the news talking about, yeah, we need to get involved. We need to help these disabled vets with the purchase these homes. That'll give them a sense of freedom in their life since they, they don't have any legs or sometimes they don't have any legs or arms because they went over there and fought for their country. But how many Democrats do you see supporting that idea? Oh, they're willing to spend millions and millions of dollars on people flooding across the border, bringing in, you know, uh, almost 2 million people in this country this year illegally. They're willing to spend that money, people, but they're not willing to spend the money for, for the veterans that have done their duty for their country and for all of us that could sit here and comfortably have a life and go about our business while they're over there taking the risk. But these illegals, these Haitians that they're so upset about uh, with the horse issue, the uh, uh, they're more important than the veterans that need our help than the veteran suicide problem that we have in this country. Yeah. Where's the priorities? You know, and I'll say this about the Republicans too. And since I'm on this, I'm on this uh, tirade right now, the Republicans are, many of them are just as bad as the Democrats. There's many Republicans that need to go, that need to be voted out of office. We've got people up there, folks, that are that are making too much money and they never get anything done. Never get anything done. Look at everybody that you voted for and identify their accomplishments since they've been in office. The things that they have actually been on uh, voted for that passed that that is actually beneficial for you, the people who voted for them. See how many of those. I mean, they should have a report card like every everybody else. Everybody that has a job in this country that works for any company of any size, they get evaluated every year on their performance. And most of them, unless you have a job with tenure, which, you know, all the freaking government jobs and, and teaching jobs where you can get tenure and then people, it's very difficult to even touch you if you found you sleeping on the table at, at work. But we need a report card on them. 
They're up there trying to spend more money than we've ever spent in our entire life in this country on things that they want to spend money on so they can try to buy votes. And you're out here trying to survive and take care of your family. And that money's going to come from you. They keep telling you it's going to come from the rich people, the wealthy. Do not think that won't be passed down to you. It's economics. But they're not going to tell you that because they think you're too stupid to know it. They think you're too stupid to figure it out or you're not going to listen to anybody but them. And they're, you know, they're telling you it's all going to be good. We're going to punish the rich for being rich. You know, if they would vote for term limits, if they would vote for each individual bill that goes up before consideration in that and before the House and the Senate should be an individual bill, no writers, no additional shit attached to it, each bill on its own merit. If they cared about the country, they would be doing that. But they'd rather write bills that are three and 4,000 pages long because they know everybody's not going to read it and probably couldn't understand everything that's in it if they did. Knowing that some of those things that are in there would never pass on their own. And isn't that criminal that you take something that would not ever get approved by anybody if it were presented on its own, but you stick it in with something else, then and if you don't pass this part, then you're hurting America. It's a game, folks. It's a game. And we're losing. They're gaining. We're losing. It's not supposed to be that way. The Constitution was there to protect us from people like that, from government like that. And if you don't wake up and start doing things where you make them put the brakes on and say, we're not, because we're the boss. The voters are the boss. They're our representatives. The president is not our king. He's our representative that we supposedly elected to do our bidding not his bidding. And on and on and on it goes. All right. I promise I'll stop here. Uh, let me switch back over to this. Um, so that's just one story of many corporations who are trying to brainwash their employees. I just haven't really figured out what their angle is really. Um, all right. That's it for tonight's show. Let me find my, okay, here it is. Um, I want to thank you for listening and downloading this episode tonight. If you have, I hope you have, 
Uh, and I'd love to hear from you if you have any comments about anything that I talk about tonight. Really. Um, Dennis Lee and I basically, we'll share stories with you uh, each episode. And, and then, like I have tonight, I'll share my personal feelings and opinions with you about some of the issues that I, that are uh, brought up in the stories. But I would welcome anybody to contact me if you want to comment on anything that I've said on any of these shows. I, you know, and again, an opinion is something that everybody has, right? Uh, I won't go through the whole uh, old saying on that. That's probably something against that uh, racism uh, curriculum at the corporations. But I would welcome anybody who wants to comment on anything that I talk about or say on these episodes. But if you like this or any Trice Talk family podcast, please be sure to follow us. Hit that follow button on whatever media source that you're using. Um, I want to leave you tonight with a quote. And uh, I, I, you know, in the beginning, when we started doing Trice Talk, I always had a closing thought for the night. And I've stopped doing those for a while because it was difficult for me to find things that I really continued to, to uh, like and felt like were worthwhile. But I found one, uh, actually found this one on Twitter. Somebody had tweeted and I really liked it. I saw it a few days ago, two days ago, tweeted by somebody, uh, the American Patriot. And they said it's one of the best quotes ever. And again, this is Dr. Ben Carson, you know, uh, Ben Carson, who ran for president back in 2016 and also ended up serving as Donald Trump's secretary of housing and urban development. Um, and besides that, he was a renowned neurosurgeon before that time. You know, it's funny. I got to say this. Dr. Ben Carson is black and it's amazing how people, uh, liberals especially, want to talk about race in this country and prejudice and privilege. But then when there is a black conservative or a black Republican that gets in the limelight in this country, just like Larry Elder did in California, it's amazing how many people chastise that person, how many people want to tear that person down and disrespect them because they're not following along with everybody else like good little sheep. They have the uh, audacity to think for themselves and to make their own choices about what their beliefs are in this country and how they want to live their lives and who they think is right and wrong and how they think other people should conduct themselves. I really liked Ben Carson when he was running for president, uh, when I first became familiar with him and I felt like he was a good man, but I thought he was probably too good and probably just a little bit too quiet spoken to take on the presidency. 
I thought they might eat him up, basically, was my thought. But anyway, uh, every time that he would speak, every time that he would uh, come out in public and talk about things, and even on on the uh, 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 on the presidential trail, on the uh, you know primary trail, I liked it when he would speak about issues in this country. I I, I almost wish that he would have been a candidate, uh, Donald Trump's candidate for vice president. But regardless. This is a quote by uh, Dr. Ben Carson, and I think it rings true. You be the judge. We've been conditioned to think that only politicians can solve our problem. But at some point, maybe we will wake up and recognize that it was the politicians who created our problems. I think that's right on. I think that falls in line with almost every comment that I've made tonight. The politicians create the problems so then they can be given the power to come up with solutions. There's a little bit of madness to that, folks. All right, let me uh, bear with me a second. I have to change over to... Um, the other, ah, there we go. All right. I have to change over to get the closing music. I'm sorry. There's no way to do it when you're working this by yourself, except to take a little bit of time. I've actually gone longer than I intended to tonight and probably partially because I got aggravated by that last article, but, uh, I do appreciate it. If you hung with me and stayed through the whole thing. But um, until the next time, keep your eyes open, and for goodness sakes, ask questions. The future of your family, friends, in this country may be riding on the very decisions you make. Stay safe, everybody. younger than the sun and the bonnie boat was one as we sail into the mystic oh, I can now hear the sailors cry smell the sea and feel the sky let your soul and spirit fly into the mystery. And with that fork horn blowing, I will be coming home. And when the fork horn blows, I wanna hear you. Suddenly we will fall